During this week, the news was dominated by our government's plan for the final unwinding of the COVID uh, restrictions. And as always, these announcements uh, are deeply divisive. Throughout this pandemic, people have argued over whether they should have the freedom to do whatever they want, or whether they have the responsibility to restrict those freedoms for the benefit of others. So, for example, people have been arguing over whether should we have just kept everything open, or were those lockdowns, if you remember those two kilometre lockdowns and all of those kind of things, were they necessary? People these days are arguing over whether they have the right to choose whether to be vaccinated or not, or should they be compulsory? Or should everybody have the freedom to say whatever they want on social media? Or should some posts be removed if they're deemed to contain misinformation? Now, we are not going to get into that debate today. You'll be really glad to know. I'm sure you're all sick to death of all of those arguments. And I'm not trying to convince you of one issue or the other. But a reason because they illustrate... They illustrate that tension that often exists in our lives, not just in the middle of a pandemic, but lots of times, between our individual freedoms and our community responsibilities. And that actually was an issue that was really a hot topic for the church in Corinth when Paul was writing his letter to them that's contained in the Bible. Some of the strong Christians in that church, they understood their freedom in Christ. They knew that Jesus had set them free from the heavy demands of the Old Testament law. And they were no longer obliged to live under its rules and regulations. They felt that they could just do anything they wanted and they could do it with a clear conscience. They were living out their freedom, so they thought. But other Christians didn't understand this. Their consciences were weaker, less informed by the gospel. And as a result, they were afraid that meat that had been sacrificed to an idol was defiled. And that it would contaminate them. If they ate it, it would dishonor God. So what should these strong Christians do? Should they just enjoy their freedom? And not care about how it impacted anybody else? Or, should they set aside those freedoms and conform to the ideas and the wants of the weak? Well, over the past few weeks, as we've been looking at one, the, the, the Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 9 and 10, we've seen Paul's answer to this. And our passage this morning is kind of Paul's summing it all up summarizing it. And in it he teaches us five important principles to help us to work out that right balance between our personal freedoms and our community responsibilities. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and we're going to read from verse 23 down to the first verse of chapter 11. And Grace is going to come up and she's going to read for us this morning. Thanks Grace. I have the right to do anything, you say, 
but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience, for the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, but for the sake of the one who told you and for the sake of the conscience. I am referring to the other person's conscience, not yours. For why is my freedom being judged by another's conscience? If I take part in the meal with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of something I thank God for? So whatever you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do for the glory of God. Do not cause another to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the Church of God, even as I try to please everyone in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but, for, but the good of many, so that they might be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Thank you very much, Grace. So the first principle that we see here is actually seen in the last verse that we read. When Paul said, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. In the challenging issues of our lives... We learn best by following good examples. It can be so difficult to kind of work out how these, all these various principles apply to our lives, but if we can w- see them being lived out in somebody else's life, in somebody's real life, then we can understand those issues much better. It's much easier to watch somebody and learn from their example than it is just to read principles. So Paul presented us with two examples to follow. First of all, he encouraged us to follow himself. His own example. Now, that wasn't because he thought that he did everything right. He knew that he was not perfect. He was well aware of his weakness and his limitations and his failures. In fact, we're going to see later in this letter, in chapter 15, Paul writes that Uh, I am the least of the apostles and I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul was an apostle. He was commissioned and authorized by Christ himself. But he never forgot that more than that, he was nothing more than a sinner saved by God's grace. Through his faith in Christ. But because of God's grace at work in his life. He could point people to himself. Because Paul didn't say one thing and do something else. Paul lived out what he preached. He understood that he didn't just teach from his words. But also his life. And so as he did before in chapter 9 of this letter, Paul spoke about his own experience, his own decisions, so that we could look at how he lived and understand these issues and follow his example. But we should only follow Paul's example so far as he 
followed the example of Jesus. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Because Jesus, of course, is the ultimate example that we should follow. More than anyone else, Jesus perfectly lived out the principles that Paul taught here. So Paul, he was really only a a signpost to Jesus. He wasn't trying to get people to look and, and focus on him. He was just asking them to look at him as far as he pointed people to Jesus. So it's really helpful for us to have people in our lives that we can look to and that we can follow their example. But ultimately, we are here to follow Jesus. He is the perfect example of how to live out our calling. He is the one that we need to to follow. So what else can we learn from Paul and as he followed Jesus in regard to this issue of our personal freedoms and our community responsibilities? Well, the second principle here is that we should enjoy... God's good gifts. Look at verse 25. Eat anything sold in the meat market without raising questions of conscience. As Christians, we don't need to follow the food laws that are contained in the Old Testament, in the Mosaic law. We don't need to feel bad from a biblical perspective about what we do or do not eat. That's because Paul says, verse 26, the the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. God has provided all the food that we eat and he has provided it for us to enjoy. He's given it to us so we enjoy eating it. And some of us really do enjoy eating that food. Now, not everybody thinks this. We might think, well, of course God gives us the food to enjoy. But not everybody believes that. In fact, when Paul was writing to Timothy, there were some people who were trying to infiltrate his church to tell them not to get married, some people shouldn't get married, and also to abstain from certain foods. But Paul told Timothy not to listen to those people at all. For everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. And this is also what Jesus taught in his own ministry. So for example, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus said, Nothing that enters a man from outside can make him unclean. For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Jesus declared all foods clean. There aren't some foods that we can eat and some foods that we can't. There aren't lists of rules and regulations about what is okay and what is not. Now, of course, from a health perspective... We do need to be careful about what we eat. Yeah, I'm not saying just go out and, and pig out on whatever you want. You know, if you're controlling your diet well, that's good and well. But 
as followers of Jesus, we do have the freedom to enjoy the good food that God has provided. God has given it to us to enjoy. And we can enjoy that good food with friends. Look at verse 27. If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. I know that many of us are missing this aspect during the pandemic, isn't it? It's, It's been hard not to be able to go to people's houses or have people over and just enjoy a meal together. But as believers, the Bible is clear that we're not called to live a life of somber isolation. We've been given the freedom to enjoy friendship with others. Even friendship with those who even are not believers in Jesus. Those people who have not trusted in Him. Those people may have all kinds of wrong ideas. They might completely reject our faith in Christ. Their lifestyle may be so far from what God wants. But we are free to be friends with them. And to enjoy fellowship with them. After all, this is what Jesus did. Do you remember how he was criticised by the religious establishment? Those Pharisees that thought that in order to really live for God you have to stay away from all these horrible sinners? They criticised Jesus by saying this, that he was a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Now they thought that was a terrible thing so they were using it as an accusation. Jesus would accept that. He is a friend of sinners. He is a friend of those who are far from God. And throughout the Gospels we see him enjoying food and friendship with people who are ungodly. People who are unholy. People who are far from God. An example. Do you remember when Matthew the tax collector, was called to follow Jesus. Jesus went along and said, follow me. And Matthew left everything and followed him. But the very first thing that's that's recorded in the Bible about Matthew, the tax collector, as a follower of Jesus, is that he held a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Matthew invited Jesus, his Lord, his Saviour, to dinner and invited all his old colleagues, the ones who would have been seen as traitors and thieves in his community. He invited them all there as well. Now, of course, when Jesus did eat with those tax collectors and the sinners and all these other people, he did it without compromising on his holiness. He wasn't influenced by those sinners. He didn't become like them. He was completely holy as he was spending time with people who were unholy. And we are not always like that, are we? Paul will later on declare in chapter 15 of this letter how bad company corrupts good character. 
we are far too influenced by those around us. So we need to be careful. We need to be aware of our own weakness and vulnerability. And we might need to separate ourselves from some people who are pulling us away from following Jesus. But the principle here is, the freedom that we have is, that as followers of Jesus, we are called to enjoy God's good gifts. His gift of great food. His gift of good friendship and fellowship. We have that freedom. Because they have been provided by our Heavenly Father. Our Heavenly Father who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Isn't that amazing? That God loves us so much that he gives us all of those good gifts in our lives. So that's our second principle. Enjoy God's good gifts. But sometimes, sometimes we need to refuse to enjoy those good gifts. And instead, do what is good for others. And sometimes we need to lose out, miss out on those freedoms for the benefit of others. Paul here probably quoted again one of the popular slogans in the church in Corinth when he said, everything is permissible. That was probably one of the, the, twist, the slogans that expressed their twisted view of Christian freedom. Their idea was that if we've been set free by Christ, then we can just do anything that we want. We're free to do whatever we feel like. But Paul said that's not the whole story. Because everything is permissible, maybe, but not everything is beneficial. Even if some things are permissible, they still might not be profitable in our lives. They still might not help us to live for God. And they might not help other people to live for God too. Because not everything is constructive. It might not build others up. It might not encourage the body of Christ. And so we need to balance our freedoms with what is beneficial to us and to others. So for these, these Christians in Corinth at that time, this meant, Paul says, that if they were out for dinner and another person was worried about the food being defiled, and, he said, and, he, and they said to them, this has been offered in sacrifice. Then, they should not eat it. Even though there's nothing wrong with that food, even though they have the freedom to eat it, they should consider the other person and be willing to lose out on some enjoyable food for the sake of not wounding that other person's conscience. This is what Paul meant when he said, I try to please everybody in every way. Now Paul, he was not a, what you would call a people pleaser. 
He wasn't just doing what everybody else asked him to do and wanted him to do. He was very dedicated and wholeheartedly holding on to what God had told him to do. But he was, conf- he was willing to conform to the beliefs of that other person if it would help them, if it would be good for them, if it would build them up. He was willing to set aside his freedoms if it would do the other person good. So there's the general principle in verse 32. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews or Greeks or the church of God. We need to realise that our actions could have a negative impact on somebody else. And so we need to be careful that we don't enjoy our freedoms in a way that would cause problems to other people. That means that when we think about how we should live, we mustn't just think about what we want to do or what we like or what we will enjoy or even what will be good for us. We also need to think about what would be good for other people too. We are called to think about them. Verse 24, nobody should seek his own good but the good of others. We are called to use our freedoms to serve other people. And we're called to do that even if it's very costly. Even if it costs us a lot. Because that's what Paul did. We saw that in chapter 9 of this letter. And that's what Jesus did. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay down his life as a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come from heaven to earth for his own good. He came for our good. He came to serve us. And we need to be willing to do the same even when it costs us. Because Jesus was willing to do that even when it cost him the cross. We need to be willing to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Even when it costs us everything. And fourthly, we need to do this, especially for the cause of the gospel. This is what Paul did. Look at verse 33. I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that, they may be saved. Paul willingly set aside his rights and his privileges for the sake of the gospel. He was willing to set aside the freedoms that he had as a follower of Jesus if it would help somebody else come to faith in Christ and receive his salvation. We saw that earlier in chapter 9 when Paul said, we put up with anything 
rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. And Paul lived that out in his everyday lives in such a, a, a challenging way. But Jesus did it in an even greater way. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Jesus willingly laid aside his rights, his privileges, his comfort, his safety, and ultimately his own life. So that we can be saved from a lost eternity. This is his love for us. This is his commitment to us. And he calls us as followers of Jesus to follow in his footsteps. And so remember Matthew, what we talked about a few minutes ago? Matthew, that tax collector who who, who made a banquet for Jesus as a new follower of, of Jesus? Inviting all his tax collecting buddies? Well, he didn't just do that because he, he liked their company. He didn't just do that because he cared about them or because he used to hang out with them or because he wanted to stay in that culture that Jesus just called them out of. Matthew invited those tax collectors because he wanted to introduce them to Jesus. He wanted them to meet the one who had transformed his life so that they could, their lives could be transformed too. This was also the motivation of a guy called C.T. Studd. As a young man in 1885, he sailed for China as a missionary. But while he was there, at the age of 25, he inherited his father's fortune. But after praying, he decided to give away thousands of pounds uh, of that fortune to various Christian ministries. That left him with quite a sizable amount in those days, about £3,400, which was a lot in 1885. But then he got married to a woman called Priscilla Stewart. And just before the wedding, he presented his bride with the remaining money from his inheritance. Her response was, Charlie, what did the Lord tell the, the the rich young man to do? Well, sell all, he said. Okay, she said, we will start clear with the Lord at our wedding. So they proceeded to give away the rest of the money for God's work. C.T. Studd's motto was this, if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Now, of course, let me be clear, that does not mean that God is asking you to all of us to give away all of our money. That's not what I'm saying at all. But he does ask us to make a priority of the gospel in all of our lives. And to live that out as he directs us, as he guides us. And so as we think about how we're living, as when we decide about things like our our lifestyle choices, or how we spend our money, 
or what we do with our free time, or our political views, or our career choices, or where we live, or a whole host of other choices that we make on a daily basis in our lives. We need to ask ourselves, not just what is right, what is moral, what is permissible, but we also need to ask ourselves, what will help other people to hear about Jesus? What will help other people to come to faith in Jesus and be saved from a lost eternity? What else will build God's kingdom? Instead of seeking our own good, we need to be willing to set aside those freedoms, those desires, those ambitions and plans in order that people may be saved. But just finally, there's an even higher and a greater goal that should motivate us as we work out those issues in each of our lives. Look at verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. That should be our ultimate goal, and our ultimate purpose. Whatever we do, however we live, we should be seeking to glorify God, to honour the Lord and to point people to His excellence. This is what should motivate us as we enjoy God's good gifts. If we recognise that they all come from our Father's hands, then we should receive them and enjoy them with thanksgiving and worship as we marvel at all that God has given us, so graciously given to us. We should glorify God as we eat and enjoy His gifts. This is what should motivate us to do what's good for others too. As we realise that each person that we meet has been made in the image of God, then we will understand that loving those people and seeking their good is honouring and glorifying to the one who made them and who loves them. We should be thinking about others because those people belong to God and He loves them. And this should also motivate us to prioritise the gospel in our lives. As we understand that it's only through Jesus that sinners can be reconciled with God and give God the glory and the praise that He alone deserves, then we should be seeking to lead people to trust in Jesus so they can glorify God in their lives. So they can acknowledge Him as their Saviour and Lord. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Because this was Jesus' ultimate goal, wasn't it? On the night before he went to the cross, Jesus prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. 
everything Jesus did was ultimately in order to bring glory to his Father. So here are some useful principles. It's just the principles that we need to think about how we apply in each one of our lives. And that might be different. It might look different in different people's lives. But this is the principles to help us to try to find that right balance between our individual freedoms and our community responsibilities. We need to follow good examples and ultimately follow the good example of Jesus so that we can learn how to enjoy God's good gifts as well as do what is good for others. And especially as we prioritise the gospel and so seek to glorify God.